Father, your endless mercy does follow us. Every morning when we wake up, your mercy is there to greet us, new and fresh, for a new day. Lord, we are so thankful for your generosity. And we are so thankful for your word. And we are so thankful that in your word, we see Christ displayed, our Christ, our Lord, our King, our Savior, our Shepherd, our Refuge. May we see Him today for your glory, for our good. Amen. So turn, if you would, in your Bibles to John 10. John 10. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 42. So John 10, verses 31 through 42. To start, let me make sure for all of us that the healing of the blind man is still in your minds. Because it's supposed to be. The healing of the blind man that we saw back in John 9, it still needs to be fresh on your minds. It's been a few weeks since we've looked at that story together uh, in the preaching. But think about it this way. If you and I had just sat down to read the book of John together, we would have just finished that story about five minutes ago or less. It should still be very fresh in our minds. We should still be thinking about how the Jewish leadership did not believe the man had been born blind. They thought it was a hoax. So they went to the man's parents. And then once they went there and they found out that, no, he actually had been born blind, we would recall how they went and they threatened the man with exile if he did not frame the story the way they wanted it framed. But he wouldn't do it. If we had been reading all of this as a piece and just reading right through the, the Gospel of John, we would still have these words bouncing around in our head, these words from the blind man when he said, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone Anyone open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. We'd also have these words from Jesus still bouncing around in our mind when Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. We need those words in our mind today as we look at our passage because we're going to see these Jews here intentionally ignoring a massive part, a massive part of Jesus' ministry, His works. They're blind. They're willfully blind to His works because the works of Jesus are a major problem for them. Now, generally speaking, Generally speaking, there are three reasons why you might leave something out when you're telling a story. And that's what these Jews have been trying to do. Got to understand that ever since, the, ever since the story of the man born blind, at least, they have been trying to control a narrative. They have been trying to control a story that's out of their control, frankly. So there's generally three reasons why you leave something out when you're telling a story. The first reason is just because you forgot it. You just forgot about it. I'm telling a story and, and my wife will cut in and Sarah will go, no, honey, no, no, you, you forgot 
how it all actually started because the dog ate a bag of gummy bears. And I'll go, oh yeah, right, I did, I totally forgot about it. But that actually makes the story even funnier. I just forgot to mention it. And that's why I left it out. The second reason you leave something out of the story is because it's irrelevant. It doesn't really matter one way or the other. It doesn't really do anything for the story, so you just don't mention it. So my kids will sometimes cut in when I'm trying to tell a story with a whole lot of details that I'm not including, and I'll be like, guys, this is my story. They don't need to know that stuff. It's irrelevant. That stuff doesn't really matter. That's the second reason you might leave something out of a story. But the third reason you might leave something out of your story is that whatever you're leaving out, it's inconvenient. It undercuts the point or the reason that you were telling the story in the first place. So for instance, I might be telling a story about how I got us uh, somewhere. And Sarah will sweetly cut in and she'll say, well, the whole reason we were there in the first place is because you didn't think that you needed to use Google Maps. I left that out on purpose, intentionally. Because it undercuts the point of my story, which was, I got us out of there. I, I figured it out. Y'all didn't need to know I'm also the one that got us into it. That's inconvenient. We see a lot of this in our culture today, don't we? I mean, this is how so many people tell stories today. If you think about it on a cultural level, we'll talk about cultural and personal levels a little bit today. When you, talk, when you think about it on a cultural level, though, when you're talking about transgendered men playing in women's sports, you don't want to talk about what that actually does to biological women in those sports. We don't want to talk about suicide rates, depression, regret that comes along with it. People don't even want to talk about what a woman is for fear of actually saying something that makes sense and undercuts the point. I, I, I noticed this week, and I just couldn't help but notice when the president um, was talking about the national deficit this week, he didn't talk about the national debt and he didn't talk about inflation, not until he had a story that matched with it. We ignore things that are inconvenient. This is not something new. It's not, it's, it's not something that, that's just started, and it's not something that just happens on a cultural level. This is common for anyone when we have an agenda, which, by the way, all of us do have agendas. We are all tempted to ignore the things that undercut what we're trying to say. We're tempted to ignore them. We can't give in to that temptation. You know, we, we've talked before, looking here in John, about the danger of turning someone who disagrees with you into something that they're not. See this happen all the time. Somebody says something that's maybe just a little bit to the left of you, and they're, they're suddenly a Marxist. Somebody says something that's a little bit to, a, to the right, and suddenly they're, they're a uh, white supremacist. And... It's very possible that neither one of those things are true, right? It's inconvenient, however, to work with it. A wife might be unwilling to see anything at all that's positive in her husband because all she can see is the one thing she doesn't like about him, the one thing that convinces her that he is what she thinks she, he is. And all the other good things are inconvenient to the story that she has told herself. We do this with friendships too, don't we? This is how many friendships end. 
We don't like things that are inconvenient to the way that we see the world. Parents, we run the risk of teaching our children things that are convenient, but we don't actually teach our children to understand that the world is a lot of times more messy than we'd like it to be. It's harder to work through than we would like it to be. We need to be able to look at the things that undercut our stories and wrestle with them and grow to understand them. But so many times we don't. And again, it's nothing new. And it's exactly what we're seeing in our story here today in John 10. This is the third reason why people leave things out when they're telling stories. And that's exactly what the Jews are doing. They are trying to hold on to their story with both fists and they're unwilling to let it go. So notice that as we read through the text today. Beginning in verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Did you see it there? Did you see the thing that the Jews really want to ignore? They want to pretend like it's not there. We're going to break this down into three parts today. We're going to look at the argument, we're going to look at the answer, and we're going to look at the real issue. The argument, the answer, and the real issue. So first, let's look at the, uh, the argument. Obviously, here this morning, we're picking up in the middle of the argument. We know we're picking up in the middle of the argument because we're starting today with the Jews wanting to stone him. We got to that point last week. Because Jesus wouldn't say the words that they wanted him to say. They just wanted him to say, I am the Christ. So they could, they could say, gotcha. And they could use that against him on a political level. Because again, their understanding of the Christ was he was a political figure who was going to come and overthrow maybe Herod, definitely Rome. He wouldn't do it. But what he did say was that he could do the same thing that the Father could do. That, that just like the Father, nobody could be taken out of his hand. Why? Because he said, I and the Father are one. So the Jews have been desperate here to catch him and to kill him for something for a while now, and they think they've got a chance with what he just said. But before they can follow through, Jesus asks them a question. He says, I have shown many good works from the Father for which of them are you going to stone me? In other words, what exactly has he done that deserves death? Was it the healing of the sick? 
Was that what deserved death? Was it, was it making the blind see? Was, was that what deserved death? Was, was it feeding the thousands who came to him? Was, was that what deserved death? Was it casting out demons? Was, was that what deserved death? Explain it to me. What exactly has Jesus done that deserves death? He's basically saying, hey guys, for which of those things am I about to be stoned here? What's happening is that Jesus is highlighting exactly what the Jews are intent on ignoring. Because this is the part that undercuts their whole narrative. It's not just that Jesus has been talking about the Father. And it's not just that Jesus has been talking about the Old Testament. It's not just that He's been saying He's the light of the world. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the shepherd. That stuff has been driving the Jewish leadership crazy. But here's the thing. He's been backing it up. Every step of the way. It's not just that He's been talking. He's also been doing. What about when he healed a crippled man? What about when he healed a man's child who was at death's door and he wasn't even in the same city? What about the man born blind? What about the miracles that John doesn't tell us about but you could read about in the other Gospels? These are the things, those are exactly the things that honest people are wondering about Jesus right now. In John chapter 10, look up at verse 21. Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Here's something we've got to remember about our Lord. He's not just saying things. He's doing things. He is actually powerful. You can actually look and see that He is doing things. But that kind of talk and those kind of things, that undercuts the narrative that the Jewish leadership is trying to hold on to. And so look what they do. They, they just try and continue ignoring it here. Ah, no, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. See, you want to talk about something different here. You're wanting to bring up something different. We're not talking about the works. Isn't it funny how somebody, when somebody who is in a position of authority, when somebody's in a public position, I mean, th there's a lot of power there. You can control the narrative. And so that's what they're trying to do in this moment. I mean, you and I might sit and look, or an honest person like the guys in verse 21, we might listen to what's going on and we might like, well, I kind of think the fact that he can do those works is pretty relevant to the conversation, isn't it? But they're like, no, 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 Cece, you're talking about something different. We're not talking about that. We're talking about blasphemy. That's what you've done. If it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, these guys aren't stupid. They're stubborn, but they're not stupid. And we've got to admit they have an argument here. Jesus has been claiming exactly that. 
You know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this this week. The people in our day who claim that John doesn't teach that Jesus was truly God, like Jehovah's Witnesses, would be disagreeing with literally everyone in John's gospel. Not just the people who are for Jesus, but the people who were against Jesus as well. They all understood what he was saying. They got it. And so that's our first point. That's the argument here. The argument is that Jesus committed blasphemy. And the Jews want everybody to just focus on that. We're not talking about this. If they were here today, they might go, well, we can talk about that at another time, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about this right now. And they want everybody to know they've already decided on what's true here. This is, this is not a legitimate conversation. They've already decided, no, he has committed blasphemy. Don't question it. But for them, it's all a deflection. It's an argument, but it's all a deflection. That's something to note, guys. A lot of times, people will bring up arguments to you. You want to witness to them about Jesus. You want to say something to them about the truth of Scripture. And they will bring up arguments to you. But they're just deflections. They're self-defense because when you really talk about Jesus, it cuts right into a person's heart. It's convicting. And people don't like to be convicted. I don't like to be convicted. You don't like to be convicted. We don't like to have our hearts exposed. So what do we do? We'll start throwing out arguments. We'll be like, well, well, what about this? But what about that? We saw this just a few months ago actually, didn't we? We took a trip with Jesus to Samaria. He met a woman by the well, and that woman had so many good arguments, like meaningful, powerful arguments about where they should worship God, about how does their relationship to Jacob fit into God's promises. Those are not only legitimate, they were really intelligent arguments too. But did Jesus spend any time on them? No, because he saw through them. That's just something to note. What we're seeing the Jews do here, you may be guilty of doing as well, or you may talk to somebody and they may just be throwing up argument after argument after argument, but what they're really doing is trying to deflect from the real issue. Don't let it happen. Look at what Jesus does here. This is another opportunity to see that Jesus wasn't just able to heal the sick. He wasn't just able to work miracles. He knew the scriptures better than the professionals of his own day. What he's about to say here, it, it, it falls into the category of basically Jesus saying something like, well, if you want to argue like that, then let's go. I could argue like that all day. So, Second, we've seen the argument. Let's look at the answer. This is what Jesus says. First, he says, Is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. He's referring here to Psalm 82, verse 6. In Psalm 82, verse 6, you read, I said, you are God's, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. 
So the rabbis here would have understood along with Jesus that the psalm is talking about Israel. It's talking about those, the people to whom God gave His Word. And isn't that exactly what Jesus says in verse 35? If He called them gods to whom the Word of God came, that is, those Israelites who were given the Word of God, if He called them gods which he did in Psalm 82. And Scripture can't be broken, which means God didn't make a mistake when he called them gods. These men who were given the Scripture called sons of the Most High, that's nothing more than what Jesus himself And so Jesus presses the point with them. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? He's not doing anything more than what the Father himself did in Psalm 82. But of course, he makes the point that if it were true of those men in Psalm 82, how much more true would it be of the one who was consecrated and sent by the Father? So not only does he have at least the same claim to that title as the people in Psalm 82, but really, if they would just open their eyes and look at the works, they would know he has more claim than they did in Psalm 82. It's not even close. Where is the proof that he's been consecrated? Where is the proof that he is someone who was sent into the world by the Father? If they would only ask, well, how could we know that you're someone who was sent into the world by the Father? Well, did you listen to the guy that you were just interrogating when he said, never before has a man born blind been given sight? How do we know you're consecrated? Look at the works. These Jews would be right about blasphemy if what they were saying was the whole truth. But it's not. They are only focusing on one thing and they're pounding on that one thing over and over again. D.A. Carson says, this scripture proves that the word God is legitimately used to refer to others than God Himself. If there are others whom God, the author of Scripture, can address as God and sons of the Most High, on what biblical basis should anyone object when Jesus says, I am God's Son? That's the argument that He's making to him. He says, if you want to go there, you don't have a leg to stand on. You can't kill me for that. It's not as clear-cut as they would like it to be. And so Jesus shows again that He knows the Scriptures more intimately than they do, which is what you would expect if what He says about Himself is true. He should be able to run circles around these Pharisees who know the Scripture really well. That's another work that speaks to the truth of His claim, quite frankly, isn't it? Just look at what He's doing. Everything he does backs up what he says. Which brings us right back to the real issue. And that's the third point today. The real issue. The thing that Jesus' opponents don't want to talk about. 
his works, the miracles that he's done. They are just pesky, and they get in the way of a lot of people's ideas about Jesus, those miracles. They are inconvenient. They're inconvenient in the same way that biology is inconvenient if you want to call a man a woman. They're inconvenient in the same way that Scripture itself is inconvenient if you want to say that homosexuality is acceptable and good in God's eyes and according to His design. It's inconvenient if you think that we ought to divide on the issue of race and ethnicity. It's inconvenient the same way that pictures of tiny, mangled, dismembered, and broken babies is inconvenient to the lie that abortion is safe and good for people. Those kinds of truths are inconvenient. And we need to recognize that. People, people will say that our eyes are lying to us. You know, so th take a man. Take a man who calls himself a Christian. He calls himself a Christian, but he looks exactly the same as he did years ago. He is still sinning in exactly the same way that he did years ago. Well, are our eyes deceiving us? Or is he not actually living his life in Christ to the glory of God? Here with Jesus, what you and I have to realize is how important and how necessary the miracles and the works of Jesus are. If they truly happened, then all you can do is ignore them if you want to deny who Jesus is. And that's exactly what people will do. It's what the Jews are doing here. Just, I mean, the Jews were doing it just minutes. Maybe, maybe an hour, I don't know. I mean, the timeline, but it's, it's, it's pretty immediate. The Jews were doing this right after the man who was born blind got his sight. They were ignoring what was right in front of them. They couldn't see it. It didn't fit with the way that they saw the world working. And that's what you and I, we need to be challenged by those things that might be inconvenient to us. I mean, I've talked about a lot of big ways. I've talked about some personal ways. But there, aren't, there, aren't there so many ways? Somebody could be a total jerk and go, but I'm just standing for the truth. And it's inconvenient, isn't it, that Scripture says that you should speak with gentleness and patience and compassion. Speak the truth in love. There's so many inconvenient things about us. As we see the Jews today, we ought to want to be more consistent in what we are doing. That we are so submitted to Scripture that our lives line up with what Scripture says. That we are willing to, to say 
the truth, whether it's convenient, whether it's inconvenient, they would not recognize the works that Jesus did, even though He's doing them right in front of their faces. During the Enlightenment, many, including some of our founding fathers, they attempted to edit the Bible, to cut out the miraculous, because they didn't believe it was possible. The miraculous made the Bible look foolish, they felt. It undercut, because their God wasn't actually God, their God was their mind, their God was rationalism, their God didn't fit with Scripture. And so what do you do? I mean, they did all that you could do, and that's what we have to realize. There's nothing else you can do but just ignore it. They cut them out because they didn't believe it was possible, but here's the thing. It's the very fact that they're not possible that makes them essential for understanding who Jesus is. It's the whole point that John has been making. You must look at Jesus. You must look at all of Jesus as He's presented in the Bible. You have to see the signs and the miracles that He did, and then you have to listen to what He's saying. You can't just take what you're comfortable with and leave off what you're uncomfortable with. You have to look at what He did and look at what He said. You have to take all of Jesus. If you're going to wrestle with Jesus honestly, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. If you're going to wrestle with Jesus honestly, you have to wrestle with all of Him. You have to wrestle with everything that Scripture says about Him. After all, at the very core of the Christian faith is the most miraculous work of all, isn't it? The resurrection from the dead after being crucified as a payment for our sins. That is 100% a miracle, a supernatural act of God. You and I, when we talk about Jesus, we can still talk about the works that He's doing, can't we? We should be able to. You should be able to go, let me tell you what He's done to my heart. Let me tell you what He saw in me and how He's changed me. He's still doing works today. And you, Christian, you have the opportunity to talk about the works that Jesus is doing. Somebody can ignore it, or they can mock it, or they can throw up argument after argument. But we, don't we have the same testimony as this man from chapter 9? I was blind, but now I see. We depend entirely on the work of Jesus. His works lay the foundation for God's goal of making Jesus Lord and raising Him above every other name. They still do. The miracle of salvation is a work that many people will deny. It is a form of blindness. Not a new form, it's an old form. It's a form of blindness to deny the miracles and the works of Jesus. Here's an illustration I found this week. I was kind of excited about it. You probably won't be. As most of you know, I, I, so I practice the, the sport of falconry, right? I, I go out and I hunt squirrels with uh, red-tailed hawks. My brother does it too. And, and so this week, 
my brother sent me this quote from the Puritan Thomas Watson. And, and we kind of geeked out on this. We got great, great stuff. It's the little things, right? Get you excited. So to explain the quote, though, and, and how the application fits here, uh, you, you need to know a little bit about falconry. You need to know why falconers put that hood over their birds. Have you, you, you've seen the hood, you know, that when you, when you see a, a bird of prey on somebody's arm and, and they've got this hood, rest, it's like this leather thing with a little pom-pom. That, that, it's not a pom-pom, actually. It's way more manly than that. It's, it's for lifting it off of their head, obviously. Um, and, and so you need to understand why you would put that on a bird. Um, it's basically because um, when, when, when a bird of prey can't see, when they're blinded like that, they, they just kind of shut down. They, they, they just become basically passive and, and they just sit on your arm there. It just gets, just gets calm. It's really helpful. So say, it's really helpful when, when you're out hunting and um, you finish up your hunt and you're like a mile from your car, which can happen. I won't, you don't need those irrelevant details about why it can happen. If you want those irrelevant details, I'll tell you later. But it can happen that you end up your hunt like a mile from your car. So now what do you have to do? Now you've got to walk a mile through a woods that still have squirrels and all other things in them with your bird that you can't hunt anymore. If you don't put a hood on that bird and you just try and walk through the woods with them, it's going to be a terrible walk. Because he's going to constantly, she's going to be trying to fly off your fist constantly. Be like, ooh, I'm going to fly there. I'm going to fly there. And then what she's going to do, she's going to get mad at you because you won't let her fly off. And then she's going to start like grabbing. And it's just a whole terrible experience. A simple solution to it is when you're done hunting, you just plop that hood on her. And guess what? You can just walk all the way back to your car and she's just going to be chill. She's going to go right along with you. If she could have seen, she would have tried to escape. If she could have seen, she would have gone after all these distractions, but she can't see. And so what does she do? She shuts down. That's what Thomas Watson is referring to when he says this. He says, they see not what deformed souls they have. The devil does with them as the trainer with the hawk. He covers their eyes and carries them hooded to hell. That's a powerful picture when you think about it. He covers their eyes and he carries them hooded to hell. Because when you're blind, you just go along with it. That's what the, that's what the bird does. When the bird is blinded, the bird doesn't fight. The bird just goes right along with it. This blindness, Thomas Watson says, this blindness is what keeps you calmly going straight to hell. The kind of blindness that would ignore what's right in front of your face. How does that apply to us and to salvation? There's a blindness to our own sin, isn't there? That's what Thomas Watson is pointing out. They see not what deformed souls they have. So many people are blind, willfully blind. It's almost as if they put the hood on themselves to their own sin, to what actually is going on in their heart. 
They're blind to the fact that there is a payment for what we've done. And then they're blind to the fact that God will expect a righteous justice. It is scary to talk about justice apart from Christ. It ought to be scary to talk about justice apart from Christ. Because perfect justice, if that's what we wanted, if we wanted perfect justice, perfect justice is too pure for any of us to ever attain. It's too perfect. But isn't that what justice would have to be? It would have to be perfect for it to truly be justice? Even just a tiny little bit of injustice doesn't make it perfectly just anymore, does it? We're blind to the fact that we must be perfectly just. But then what's worse than all of that is the kind of blindness the Jews have here and it's the kind of blindness that so many people have. You're blind to the fact that God has made a way for us to be made perfectly just. God has made a way for us to face the sin that's in our heart. God has made a way for us to be able to go, yes, what a deformed soul I have. But there's freedom for it. There's forgiveness for it. There's hope in the face of it. But that's the third kind of blindness here. We're blind to the fact that there's hope. We're blind to the fact of who Jesus is, that He came to make a way for you to be forgiven so that you don't have to hide from your sins. You don't have to be afraid of justice. You can have Christ instead. But there's this blindness. That's why it is so vital for you and I Keep our eyes open, fixed on the truth, and pointing people to Christ. Do you know how the scales fall off the eyes? Do you know how the eyes get opened? Do you know how someone would be able to see and be honest about what's in their soul? Do you know how someone would be able to see and be honest about what justice really and truly is? And how somebody could be honest about the fact that they could be forgiven, they don't have to rely on their works, they can't? It happens the same way it happened with this man in John 9. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. Do you know how you can be a part of it? Be a witness to what Jesus is and what He does. Testify to who Jesus is. Not just what He said, but what He's done. What He's done in Scripture and what He's done in your life. The response isn't up to you. Some are going to respond like these Jews here. They're going to immediately want to kill. And then they're going to back up because they realize that doesn't work yet. So they just want to arrest him. But have hope. That's not how everybody responds. And that's where we want to end today. Look down at verse 39. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained. And many came to him and they said... John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. You notice, they said John didn't do a sign. There, there, wasn't, there weren't works necessarily 
that you could look at from John the Baptist and see, oh, wow, he did that. But they recognize the importance of the signs. And so what do they say? They say everything that he said about Jesus is true, who he is and what he does. So some are blind. Guys, that's the truth. Many are blind, in fact. But not everyone. Not everyone will be. Don't forget that. Just because there are some who are so blind that they will deflect, they will ignore, they will reject, they'll lie, they'll even kill others in order to make their version of truth a reality in big cultural ways, in local ways, in personal ways, that doesn't mean that everybody's like that. We can't be that cynical. We can't be so cynical that we would not believe that someone's eyes can be opened. If Paul's eyes could be opened, anyone's eyes could be opened. If Peter could actually understand the truth of Christ, anyone could understand the truth of Christ. We can't be so cynical because look what happens. Jesus goes away from these Jews. He leaves them and many followed him because they saw through what the Jews were trying to say. Look back again at verse 21. There's those going, I, I can't agree with what you're saying because how do you explain what he's done? There will be those who see the truth. There will be those whose eyes are opened. They genuinely want to understand what Jesus is doing and what he's saying. Guys, you will meet people like that. And it's such an excitement. It's such a joy to meet somebody whose eyes are opening. You know, it's funny. I've been a Christian for, for uh, 30-something years now. I can still remember, I still remember the first time that, that, that I tried to witness to somebody about Jesus. I was like, I think I was nine years old. I have no idea what I told that person. Like, I have no idea what I told them except that I was like, Jesus is awesome and you should believe in him or else. I don't know what or else, but you should just believe in him, okay? He's the best. And I've seen a lot of people. My, my, friend, my friend Bobby says, uh, he's, he's a street preacher. People ask him, how many decisions have you seen? He says, oh, I've seen thousands of decisions. At this point, I've seen hundreds of thousands of decisions. Everybody who hears about Christ makes a decision. But there is something so precious and you never know when it's going to hit because it's not up to you. You never know when it's going to hit that you tell somebody about Jesus and they go, well, hold up. Can you say that again? Can you explain a little more about that? I mean, I know people that I have seen come, in, come into the church doors and I've had my first conversation with them and been like, uh-uh, <laughs> they're not going to make it. Who made it? <laughs> who wouldn't stop coming? Who wouldn't stop listening? Who, 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 who wouldn't stop just wanting to know more? So don't be discouraged just because you see these Jews here. Don't become cynical and go, oh, yeah, see, this is how everybody is. Everybody's just this way. It's the worst. It can be really hard. And the sad thing is, so often the people like the Jews are the ones in power that can make it difficult. But don't become cynical because when Jesus leaves the Jews, many follow Him and many believe in Him. You and I, Christian, 
There was a moment when that happened to us. And it can be hard to explain why it just grabbed you. I've heard so many Christians talk about the reality. It's just like they just felt like they could never get away from God. It's beautiful. It happens. Don't doubt that if you tell others about Jesus, who He is, what He said, and what He's done, there will be eyes that will be opened. It will be beautiful. And it won't be by your power. It will be a supernatural miracle. And so, by the way, when you see that happen, you can then turn and go, there's another work that Jesus has done today. Another miracle that He performed today. So don't look away from anything that the Bible says about Jesus. Rejoice in it. Delight in it. Tell others about it. This is the Lord that you and I serve day in and day out. We're about to sing, yet not I, but Christ through me. Pay attention to those words. That's the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. You did not tell us what we wanted to hear. Jesus did not come simply to say what we wanted to hear and to scratch itching ears, but to say what we needed to hear. And many people stay blinded like, like the hawk, calmly going to hell blind to the reality of the life that they're living. Lord, I, I thank You that You have opened so many eyes. And Father, we plead with You to open so many more. But we understand how will they hear unless there are those who go and talk about who Jesus is what He has done and what He says. Father, may we do that this week. And may in our lives we be able to say, yet not I, but Christ through me. He is everything. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.